theme this year to go to Palestine, into Bethlehem, into uh, Jerusalem, uh, to minister to Muslims and to Jews and to Messianic believers. Uh, and uh, we thank God for a successful uh, mission, and they've got a testimony to share with us this morning. So I'm going to ask that team to come now and share their testimonies with us. Amen. Now, they've got a lot to share. We've asked them to keep it brief. So they have a lot to say to you. So please ask them a million questions of these wonderful adventures, okay? So amen. Kathleen. Good morning. We greet you in the name of Jesus. Uh, We thank you for all the prayers and everybody who helped to send us to Palestine and Israel. Um, Like Pastor shared, we do have a lot of testimony. Um, Every night that we were there, except for one because it rained, uh, there was demonstrations. Uh, They were really intense, if any of you watched the news. Um, But we were able to minister to the church um, in Palestine and also Jericho and do a lot of ministry in Palestine on the streets and also in uh, a little bit in Jericho and Tiberias. So we're going to start with Tricia here. Hi, thank you again. Uh, We really appreciate your prayers and your support. Um, What I want to talk about is in Tiberias. Um, There was, Shanti and I were walking down the street and we were passing out tracks and there was a man sitting on a bench. And so we went up to him and and he asked us to sit down with him. By then we realized he had been drinking. And so we're thinking, okay, how how is this going to go? And so we just sat and talked with him for a while and then there was, one person after another came out, and then we were surrounded by all these men, and we're in a Jewish area in Tiberias. Uh, and so what happened was we talked with them for a while, and our team was watching us on the side thinking, we don't know how this is going to go, and they were concerned for us too. And I thought, should I tell them about Jesus? I was very scared, but I did. And to my surprise, they started talking about the Messiah, So they were familiar with that, and they were receptive. They all took tracks, every one of them, and it actually went very well. And so uh, that was one of the incidences. And another thing was actually on the airport on the way home, on the airplane. When we were on the airplane, there was a man waiting by the bathroom, and I just started a conversation with him. And then I mentioned about Jesus And so then I thought, I'm just going to start witnessing to him on the airplane. And I just barely started witnessing. And I look up, and he's crying. And I thought, wow. Okay, so then I just kept going, and I asked him if he wanted to receive Jesus. And people were walking by one after another, and they're watching, and they're looking at him. He didn't care. He just sat there crying. And so he got saved, and he was so touched And what I realized about this was, this man was ready. This wasn't anything I said. It was obviously the prayers that you guys were doing back home that had this man ready before I even spoke. And what I felt about this whole trip is, last year when we went there, we tried to reach the Jewish people. And we really, we passed out tracts. They took them. There was no conversation. It was very hard. This year it changed. And what happened was we were required to talk to them before we gave them a track, which was quite a stretch. 
And so we started conversations, and almost most of the time, they were very receptive. They sat and talked with us. I mean, several people sat and talked. One guy even missed his taxi and said, no, I want to keep talking. And, uh, and so what I want to say is I know a lot of people have a heart for Palestine and for the Jewish people. Support our teams going there because we are reaching them. Thank you. I wrote this down so I wouldn't forget anything, but um, I want to thank Pastor Tim, uh, Ron Colfrey, and my family for um, letting me go to Israel and for the whole church supporting us financially and with prayer. Um, I believe our prayers were, your prayers were effective because God was, was with us. Um, we saw a lot of beautiful places and talked with wonderful people who allowed us to share about <clears throat> Jesus. And, um, and this is my favorite story that happened, and it was also in Tiberias. It's Trisha's story. Um, and that's, you know, sometimes God puts you in a class of, to, teach, to teach us something, and it's, he focuses on that. And lately he's been focusing on trying to teach me grace. Even though I was saved by grace, he still wants me to understand that he let me go to Israel. And that was just God's grace. And then he did something else really special. Um, one night, we were all going out to eat in Tiberias. <clears throat> and this, this, this was um, my day to fast, because the church was fasting. And I was fasting one day. And, um, and also... Jesus said that certain problems require prayer and fasting to come out. And I've been saved for 25 years, but just in the last couple of years, learned to fast. I think it is humbling to go hungry, and I need to be humbled. So while everybody was chowing down, I looked around and saw a girl, and her name was Adelia Eldis. And Adelia, I found out about, was um, the eldest of three daughters, and her parents had just accepted Jesus as their Savior um, two years earlier. But Adelia was not sure if she should accept Jesus like her parents did. She shared that she had spent all her years growing up Jewish, and she liked some habits of drinking and smoking and her Jewish boyfriend. Um, she was really confused, and she said Jesus had um, you know, challenged her and but she did have a situation where her mother prayed for her because she had to take a driver's test, and she was really scared, and um, she didn't think she could pass it, and her mom prayed over her in Jesus' name to help her, and she felt peace, and she said the, the test went really well, and she um, just thought it was amazing that she had that peace and that she wasn't scared at all. Um, she said, um, oh, well, I was able to share my testimony with her. She was really open to talking and um, how Jesus met me where I was and said I came all the way from the United States to tell her Jesus really loved her and Jesus would light up every step she took. We prayed together and she wanted to make sure she could keep the Hebrew track I had handed her. What was beautiful to me again, um, because 
I was fasting and praying for someone here in the United States in the same exact situation almost that wasn't sure what to do about Jesus. And I just think that was just so gracious of God to let me know that he was thinking about my situation too and sharing what God was doing in a, a girl's life um, in a messianic family. And, um, um, and that God understands all our troubles and he's in the details of our lives. Um, and I'll end with this verse. Um, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Um, thank you for listening. Praise the Lord. First of all, all I want to thank all the pastors in the church, um, especially Pastor Kim and uh, Pastor Tol Ron Tolfrey. Then everyone who prayed for us, um, everyone who have helped with the fundraising, then I want to say thank you all of you. We were doing street ministry in Tiberias. First I gave track to a woman. Then she said, no, I don't want it. <laughs> then I told her, I would like to share my testimony. Then she listened to me. Then I finished my testimony. She said, okay, I want that tract. <laughs> <laughs> then that moment she start, uh, started reading it. That, yeah. Except uh, things happened with another woman too. She, first time she said, no, I don't want it. Then I share my testimony. Then she, <laughs> then uh, me and Tisha talking to a Jewish man. Um, then another man was inside the shop. He kept watching for us. Then I watching for him too because <laughs> I don't know what is happening or <laughs> going on. After a while, he came outside and smiled at me. <laughs> then he went to his car. Again, he smiled at me <laughs> and kept saying, he didn't leave. I gave him a track, then he was so happy. Maybe he wants to <laughs> know that Jesus, that's why he's waiting for me. <laughs> yeah, again, thank you for all of us. I heard it once this way that God is so incredibly powerful, but he's so intensely personal. And I just learned that a lot and experienced that a lot on this trip. Um, he just goes through extravagant lengths to be close to the people that he loves. And I'm just so grateful for that. Here we were at Shepherd's Field. Strangely enough, that's what I need to talk about. Um, that was the place where Jesus' birth was announced to people whose testimony wasn't even accepted in court. Um, these nomads that were insignificant to most people, that's who he chose to have near him right when he was born. Those are the first people he announced his birth to. And another place that we went was the Sea of Galilee, and we got the opportunity to um, ride in a first century replica boat. And as I was on the water, I was thinking about how he chose smelly fishermen to take with him, people who were uneducated, and those are the people he spent the most time with. And those are the people that he chose to share the gospel to the world through. And 
before this trip, I was feeling kind of anxious, feeling like I wasn't that prepared. I had a year of really big transitions and feeling like, oh, everything here is not settled and I'm not prepared to go. And one of the sermons there, um, one night we were at church and one of the sermons, the pastor kind of offhandedly mentioned that um, God created man on the last day because he wanted everything prepared for his creation. And again, I felt you are so incredibly personal, God, because I was halfway around the world serving other people and he chose to spoke to me, speak to me. He speaks to shepherds and he speaks to smelly fishermen and he speaks to Elizabeth Hansen and being able to be there and be a part of that ministry and his heart, you know, reaching out to the persecuted and ministering to those who probably feel forgotten. It was just such a blessing and I just want to thank you for the opportunity to go and be a part of that ministry. These, these four ladies here were just awesome to serve with. Um, they definitely came with servants' hearts. Anything that was asked of them, uh, a lot of the work we did was extremely dirty. Um, it was hot. Um, they did it with smiles on their faces. Um, I want to thank the, the prophecy team also we met with. A lot of the prophecies that they spoke over us absolutely came to fruition on this, on this trip. We were such a blessing to the children. That was a big thing for us because a lot of these are Muslim kids that get sent to this church without the parents being there. And then, of course, the Star Academy. We were just an absolute blessing to them and vice versa. These kids were, were so amazing. I think everybody enjoyed, enjoyed that. And then just the way God brought people to us it was amazing. In Tiberias, once again, we were ministering. It was in the evening, and there was um, a young Muslim man and uh, a Jewish man. And it ended up, they were witnessing to some of them earlier. God brought us all in this one area about 35 minutes later. After ministering to them, we, we were praying. We opened our eyes, and here's another couple that were waiting for us as we got done praying, thanking us, and then we were able to minister to them. It was just one thing after the other, the way God brought uh, things together. Uh, but again, we thank you for the prayers. Uh, just an awesome trip. Planted a lot of seeds. Thank you. Amen. Good job, team. Would you stand with me and extend a hand forward? Let's pray for this team. You know, it's one thing to be there and experience it, and then there's another part of the trip, and that's coming home. That's always difficult. Father, we thank you for these women of God. You've used them. You've shown them experiences across the world. Father, you've had them speak into people's lives. And now, Lord God, as they come back home and they come into their routines again, may they forever be changed to realize nothing's routine with you. There's always an adventure. There's always a word. There's always something to discover in your spirit. Would the same hunger that they had in Palestine be here for the people round about them? Refresh them and strengthen them in your Holy Spirit now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Well done. You bet. Good job. You may be seated. Amen. Let's turn to the Word of God, shall we? Please, First Peter chapter 5.
this last week I was in Lancaster, Pennsylvania with the uh, International Fellowship of Christian Assemblies. We had our prayer retreat there and um, had the opportunity to be with Harrison Kamanga. Harrison Kamanga is an overseer and a pastor for the churches in Malawi that belong to the IFCA, our denomination. And he was telling me a story about a certain tribe that had learned how to walk among lions. And they began to teach their young men how to walk among the lions so that they were not devoured or attacked or killed. And it's a very sensitive thing to do. You really need to know how to act correctly when you're walking among lions. And as he was speaking that to me, I knew that I was preparing for the sermon Sunday and 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9 say this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him and be firm in your faith. We walk among lions. We walk among demons. We walk against an enemy that's of the Spirit that is opposed to us. He's prowling. These demon demonic forces are hunting after those believers that they may devour, that they may attack to rob and steal you of your blessing, of your peace, of your fellowship with God in the Spirit. We have to learn how to walk among lions, and we have to know how to defeat them. It's very important for you to understand in this verse that Peter says he acts like a lion, he roars like a lion, but he is not a lion. There's only one lion. Satan is an antichrist. He is one who wants to imitate the powers of God, imitate the powers of Christ, but he is not a lion. He is not Christ. He is not God. He is not immutable. He is not omnipresent. He is not omniscient and all-powerful. He is limited as a created being. He's fallen. He's a rebellious one, and he is a liar above all. And so he may roar at you like a lion, but he's not a lion, he's a liar. And you need to learn how to walk among the lying spirits that are round about us all the time. Peter is writing to the church and how to be sustainable, how to be a present power in this present darkness. And how is the church today going to be a sustainable force in a world that's gone awry? where demonic forces are influencing people to destroy each other, destroy their own lives, and kill as many people as they can, as we see in the news. These are demonic works that are trying to take people out and trying to roar. Terrorism is a roar that is trying to terrify people. But when we recognize that our fight is not with flesh and blood, with powers, spiritual forces of darkness, that are not lions, but in fact a defeated foe, the church needs to rise up in this hour and walk among those lions. Amen? Amen. And that's what Peter is telling us to do. I want to take you through these verses so you'll understand what is necessary. Three things when you're walking among lions and opposing demonic forces. The first is humility. He says this in verse 6 of chapter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. 
Humility is essential as believers, that if we're going to defeat an enemy, we have to realize we can't do it in our power. We must do it in His authority. Amen? And so we humble ourselves before the Lord, because the enemy knows if he can stir pride up in you, you'll join his ranks. As a matter of fact, what do you call a group of lions? A pride. And so if he can stir up you thinking you've got all that's necessary to beat the enemy, you're that spiritual force that can take him on, you're going to end up walking with them. He wants you to fight them out of your flesh. But the Word of God, and Peter tells us one way to defeat the roar of a lion, the roar of an enemy, is to humble yourselves beneath what? The mighty hand of God. Now the mighty hand of God can slap down and shut up any mouth of any demon. It is His voice. And if you'll remember what Jude said, Jude said as they were wrestling over the body of Moses, uh, that Michael said, the Lord rebuke you. It is under the Lord's power and the Lord's authority and His strong hand that we defeat the enemy. So stay humble, folks. Stay humble. Go low. And as we humble ourselves, who will exalt us? The Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord will exalt us. So the first rule of spiritual warfare is to stay humble, is to stay meek and be totally dependent on the power and the authority of Christ in you, for there's where your power is. The rule of spiritual warfare is to always minister in the opposite spirit. If the enemy's going to come roaring at you in a ferocious power and exhortation against you, you speak softly, and you return with humility the power of God. If someone comes with you with hate, you come with love. And so we minister in the opposite spirit. Now that's not easy to do, is it? Because when you get stirred up and when you get angry, you want to come back with that same force of anger and attitude, and that is a trick of the enemy. Lions roar to cause fear. And this is the second point when you're dealing with spiritual warfare. Why does a lion roar? Why does he make that big old vocal declaration? It's to instill fear in the one he's trying to pounce on. Because if he can get them to be stopped in their tracks, afraid, and then to run, they become vulnerable in their escape. And that's when the lion can pounce on you when your back is turned and you're running. Harrison Kamunga had told me that one of the first things that they taught in learning to walk among the lions is that you must be fearless because lions can sense fear. So you must train yourselves not to be afraid. How do we do this when we're fighting an enemy that we cannot see? When we're fighting a demonic force? To know this, that greater is He that is in me than he that's in the world. 
I know God. I may not see the force that's coming against me. I may not see that lion roaring. I may not see the demonic powers and all that they're coming in their hordes against me. But I know the Lord. I know His grace. I know His power. I know His love. And in that I will stand. I don't need to see an enemy. My confidence isn't the size of the enemy. My confidence is in the size of my God in whom I stand. That's what he says. And he says that if you will resist the devil and stand firm. James says this, Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So there's a comparison here. That if we humble ourselves, if we submit to the Lord, surrendering our lives to the Lord, and resist... The word resist means oppose the devil. The devil will flee. Look at when you submit to the authorities of God and he puts his spirit in you and seals you with his authority and his word and gives you a sword to fight and combat, the enemy sees you're sealed in God and you can oppose him, stand against him, and stand firm against those roaring lions. Stand firm. Paul talks about this when we're in warfare. Having done all, what do we do? Stand therefore. And you will stand through every battle. And you will be given the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, your feet shod, prepared, ready to bring the good news of the gospel, a shield of faith that will quench the enemy's fiery darts and the sword of the Spirit that will cut asunder what is a lie and what is true. You're armed, therefore you stand. And in Scripture it always says when you face the devil, you never lose ground. You stand and you stand firm. The only time you flee is to flee the flesh. Flee your youthful lusts. Flee your carnality. Leave that thing behind. And so we humble ourselves in warfare and we become fearless. We look an enemy in the eye. Samson had a lion attack him. Guess who won? Samson. It says that he tore him apart. The anointing of God would come upon Samson with such amazing strength that when that lion came to oppose him, he didn't run and turn his back to it. He didn't try and outrun him with his amazing speed that God would anoint him with. He stood his ground ready for the pounce and when that thing came, he grabbed it and ripped it in half. This is the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that resides in you. David had a lion come trying to steal the precious possessions of his sheep as a young boy. But David was trained. He trained against a bear. He trained against a lion with a sling and a stone. And he poised himself and carefully aimed as that lion was roaring and running towards him. He didn't flinch. He didn't move. He was planted and released an accurate throw of a stone killed that lion immediately he then went on to slay giants how do we walk among lions we remain fearless and the only way you will become fearless against an enemy is to become well acquainted with your lord you must grow in the depth of your knowledge of god 
and no longer fall to the tricks and to the foolish antics of an enemy, a defeated enemy at that. So what we must do thirdly is to be sober-minded and alert. Think about the English word sober. What does that mean? To be sober, to be about your wits, fully about your wits, right? When you're not sober, you're drunk. So you don't have your wits, you don't have your senses, you've, you've uh, imbibed in something else that has taken your attention. But a sober mind is one that's aware of what's going on. If there's a day and an hour where you need to be sober, when a nation needs to be sober, we need to be sober today. Because an enemy attacks those who are not paying attention. Church, we've been distracted long enough from what our job is and what our commission is to doing. And so we must be sober-minded and secondly, alert, paying attention. If you've watched the news and you've seen that they are on high alert to what they call soft strikes, soft areas, areas where an enemy can easily come in to malls and stadiums and this and that. Now they're on high alert. So they're being very sober-minded and alert. Where's the church? Are we spiritually sober-minded and alert to an enemy? We need to begin paying attention. We need to be sober. It says, Peter tells us, that this enemy is prowling, seeking someone to devour. Do you know what it means to prowl? It means to hunt. They stay low. They're walking through the bush. They're surrounding, they're carefully paying attention to which person or animal, if you will, is lagging behind, not paying attention, who's weakened or looking at something other than the group's power, and that's when they pounce. And it says they're prowling so that they will devour you. The enemy wants to devour the blessings God has for you. He can't take your salvation from you. The devil can't pluck you out of the hand of God. Jesus tells us that in the book of John. But what he wants to do is devour your joy. He wants to rob you of a fruitful life. He wants to take from you those things that God has ordained for you to accomplish. Many of you have been robbed Many of you have been stolen of what God had set in place for you to accomplish and because of hurt or woundedness, you've given up your visions and your dreams and you've been robbed by a lion that roared at you and created fear in your life. But you're to stand, to be alert and not fall for it again. You'll not fall to an enemy that is prowling after you. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 2.11, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan because we are not ignorant of his schemes or his devices or his designs. The enemy is designing a trap for you. He's designing a trap. Now he's not, uh, there's nothing new under the sun and he traps people typically through the flesh. Lust of the eyes, pride of life, right? The, what is it? Lust, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. These are the things that he uses to trap us, First John. 
And so in those trappings, we, Paul says, know what his schemes are. We know the tricks. So why do we fall to these things? Be alert. The only reason you and I are falling to a defeated foe is because, number one, we're either frightened by him, or number two, we've not been alert and paying attention, and we've tripped up. Peter is telling us how to live in a world among lions, tigers and bears, oh my, I might as well go there. It's a hostile world, not just in the flesh. That's typical because of fallen man. The hostility of this world is found in the spirit realm. And the answer to the hostility of this world is found in the spirit realm in the church, the body of believers. And so he concludes with this. He says, and after you have suffered a little while. Remember, he's talking to Christians who are being persecuted. Christians who are being killed, put in jail, punished, beaten. And he says that this will happen. It will happen again. He says, don't be surprised at this kind of suffering. But added to that suffering, and this is when you really need to be on alert, is when you may be persecuted and when man may come against you, be alert that there's an enemy that wants to come in and rob you. So the devil is looking for you when you are being afflicted so that he can come and finish the job. Peter says this though, and after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's our God. What the enemy wants to rob from you, God will restore. God will confirm. God will strengthen and establish all that is yours in Christ Jesus. You'll not lose any of it. So hold fast. Stand firm. Be fearless and humble yourselves before God because what God is going to do is restore you. He told Israel in Joel 2, I will restore to you the years that the locust had eaten, that the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, the great army, has robbed from you. Those are locusts in all the different forms of their life cycle. They're rooted in the ground eventually to destroy and come out and eat the crops, the larva, any form, any dimension of the locust that is destroying Israel. He said, I will restore any work that they've done from the seed in the the ground to the stem to the stalk to the fruit i will restore it all the enemies tried to rob you at any point in your life from when you were born from when you were a child what you went through in your adolescence what you went through in your 20s whatever you failed and in your old age the enemy is continually trying to destroy the harvest of god in your life but god himself he said god himself He's not going to send an angel. He's not going to send a bird. He's not going to send a nice person. God himself is going to restore everything that is your inheritance. 
So why downcast, O my soul, put my trust in God? Whom shall I fear? I'll fear no one. No man can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. He is going to restore unto me. He is going to confirm and reassure to me what is mine. He is going to strengthen me even when I am weak. And He is going to establish a foundation in me that this enemy cannot destroy. How do you walk among lions? You walk humbly. You walk fearlessly. And you are alert and aware at all times so that you can destroy that enemy's attack even when he roars at you even when he comes towards you because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world amen hallelujah stand up church and let's pray father i thank you for the power